Um, we're going to be in Exodus 25, please. So head over to Exodus 25. We're covering the first nine verses of Exodus 25. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. We'll pray and we'll dig in. Exodus 25. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. Again, Lord, we're trusting in you tonight, not to hear from man, not to hear opinions of man, but to hear from your word. Lord, you are good. Your word is holy and good, and it does a work. We trust the power of your word, and now we yield our hearts to you, Lord, for good soil. Pray that you would turn it up, Lord, that you would plant the seed in our hearts of your word, that you'd water it, that it might bear fruit, Father God, to bring you glory. So we trust you today, Lord. We're grateful, Lord, that you are in our midst, that you've chosen, Lord, to dwell and tabernacle among us right now. So we just thank you for that, Father, and give this time to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are going to be covering a brand new word. If you've started in Genesis 1 and you've read up to Exodus 25, the word tabernacle has actually not appeared a single time until these first nine verses. And so we're going to get comfortable with tabernacle. I am going to teach it as if it's maybe your very first time ever hearing about it. And maybe if you kind of understood it, maybe you didn't quite visualize it. Maybe you've never pictured yourself walking up to it as a priest, what it might look like and what its purpose is. And so we're going to be looking at the tabernacle today, specifically verses one through nine. And I want you to understand tabernacle is just a fancy word, which means dwelling place. You are tabernacling in Living Truth Christian Fellowship right now. You are dwelling together right here, right now. You're dwelling in my midst, and I'm dwelling in your midst. If I was here and you were back home, we would not be tabernacling together. We'd not be dwelling together. We'd be apart. But if we're together in the same place, we are tabernacling. Does that make sense? So if you understand that, God, if you're, again, picking up in Genesis, going through Exodus, God, after delivering people, from his Israelites, from Egypt and leading them through the wilderness, he now desired to dwell and tabernacle amongst his people. And so it looked like this. That's pretty cool. This is what it looked like at night. God said that he led the people, we know as we read through Exodus, that he had a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day that led the people up to the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, and now into the wilderness. The cloud, another picture of it, and I didn't make any of these pictures, so don't be like, this guy's an artist. No, he's a copyright artist. I just took it from the internet. So another picture of it, God here, uh, the Bible says that when Moses was called into the tabernacle to come meet with the Lord face to face, that the Lord would put his spirit, as shown by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, he would send it over there, and that was like Moses's ring door, like, hey, you need to show up, like, there it is, okay? And so a couple more pictures. Here's what it looked like in the daytime. It was a pillar of cloud by day. And when it was time to pick up and move, again, they're wandering the wilderness. When it was moving time, the cloud the pillar of cloud, if they're moving by the daytime, would literally pick up and move. And that was time, God said, to get going. Pack up your stuff. Pack up your tents. It's time to go. I like this picture. It starts to show how everybody in the tribes of Israel was arranged around the tabernacle. So it was three tribes in every direction around the tabernacle. It was three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the west, three to the east. Does that make sense? Here you see a little picture here, what it looks like 
Again, it's a little small, but here you have Dan and Asher, uh, Naphtali over here, you have Ephraim, uh, Benjamin, Manasseh, and again, it went all the way around, three, 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 three. And then you had, well, what are these tents on the inside? Here you had the Levites. Here had the sons of Levi, you had Merari, um, you had uh, Gershon, you had all the different sons of Levi and the priests here. Their commute to work was the shortest of everybody. So they're close here so they might walk in uh, and get to work. No 91 freeway for them. It was great. And here's what it looks like getting away from drawings. There were some people who took the liberty to build little dioramas. These are very detailed dioramas. And so you might look at this and say, okay, I get it. That's the tabernacle. Uh, but do you understand that God designed this in such a way that everything has meaning and purpose? Not just meaning and purpose for them back then, but meaning and purpose for us now. And that's what we're going to dig into today, okay? Again, a few more pictures. Right now you're looking at something, and if you can't define what you're looking at, that's okay. That's totally okay, because you're like, well, what, why, why do I see a square and a circle, and there's an animals in there? What's that about? There's this thing here, there's a room in there, there's these poles, and there's some string holding things up. What is that all about? If you don't know, you're in the right place, because we're going to teach you. Again, here in black and white. It's this picture we're referring to quite a bit. We talk about the tabernacle. And so I'm going to lay it out here. I'm going to take away all I'm going to take away all the color, take away most everything in terms of the animals and the people. I'm going to break it down into a simple skeletal architectural system like this. This is what we saw in this picture, okay? With kind of an x-ray vision to see inside of there. And I'm going to teach you what these things are called. So when you read through the Bible now, and we go through the book of Exodus, specifically just chapter 25 even, we're going to learn some terminology that when you can put a picture to it, it'll make a lot more sense. You won't sit there being like, I'm getting lost. I don't quite understand it. What are all these terminologies? I'm going to give you the terms now. We'll go over it. We'll visualize it, and then we'll dig in deep, okay? So here you have this outer area he called the outer courts or the courtyard, simply there. Once you entered into what we saw was that tent here, you came to the holy place, and then some of you know this little area back here. What's that called? The Holy of Holies, right. A place that only the high priest would enter, the Holy of Holies. So we got some other shapes and colors here. What are those all about? Over here, we have what's called the gate. The gate of the tabernacle has great significance, and we will certainly dig into that. We've got it multicolored, and we'll understand that these were threads of blue and purple and red, and we're going to see that in our text in just a couple seconds uh, in the first nine verses. You have a bronze altar. That's the square object you're seeing. Uh, some will see it in your Bible versions, the brazen altar. The bronze altar is where sacrifices were made. So if you understand the Old Testament sacrificial system, when it said you bring a goat here, you bring a lamb here, you bring a turtle dove here, you bring this animal here, well, what did they do with those animals? Those animals were brought right here. And in the color pictures that we saw a little while back, you saw the animals in there. You saw some tables that were there. They were basically butchering tables. And the animals would be slaughtered and then sent here. And I've got some neat color pictures of that, of what it looked like when it was being used. But moving on now, we have the circle here, which is called the laver. Um, it's a wash basin. It's a, if you're not familiar, uh, they used to have them at old stadiums, those big round sinks, which you would walk up to and push your leg down and you would be able to wash your hands in those. It's very similar to that. It's a big round wash basin. 
and we'll talk about its significance again in the weeks to come. And here, once you get into the holy place, you have a door. The door, again, made from the same color linens, the red, purple, and blue linens that were used at the gate, the same ones that we used in just a second as, as well. We'll talk about that. And so picture this now. There was actually an individual who, in our time, since the days of color cameras, uh, like this about 40, 50 years ago, made a life-size, two-scale, erected tabernacle. And so this is your pictures. If you were walking up from about a quarter mile away, this is what it looked like. And the first thing that you would do if you were walking up to it, you would walk up to what we call that gate, which is the front entrance. And here you see some um, artist renderings. What the exact pattern was? Did they go with the tie-dye swirl pattern in the middle? I don't know. Uh, but we know that they were the right colors. You might see it here as well. Here's a gate, the red, the purple, and the blue right there. So that's your entryway. And then if you were to go inside that gate and stand in there, I love this picture. This is putting you in the back right corner of the tabernacle, having passed through the gate. You would see your brazen altar, bronze altar, and your laver right here. That's about how, they, how big those would seem to you, being just give it anywhere from five, six to six foot tall. Make sense? Yeah? And here you have, again, what we're about to explore now. This would be the, the door that we, we're going to look at, and we'll look at those things in just a moment, okay? But looking at just for a brief moment, the brazen altar, if I were to zoom in on it, it would look like this. It would be about that size to scale to an animal. And you focus here, just a little three-dimensional drawing. The poles would go through the rings here. So everything was portable. They're traveling through the wilderness for 40 years. And so they would slide an acacia pole covered in gold into these rings here. And then you'd have the Levites, the priests, would just carry them on their shoulders and walk. Walk, walk, and walk, and walk, and walk with a big, heavy, wooden, covered in gold. Um, I watch a lot of gold shows like Gold Rush and um, Freddie Dodge's Gold Rush, these type of gold shows. And all I know after you watch those, you learn one thing. Gold is heavy. Gold sinks to the bottom. Every system that they design to catch gold depends on gravity pulling harder on gold and everything else because of its mass. It is extremely heavy relative to other natural metals, more so than iron, more so than other things. It's, it's heavy. And so you wrap everything in gold. It's already covered in wood. Wood alone is heavy enough for me. And then you wrap it in gold. Oh my goodness, that's just heavy. But they had the pole system there designed to carry everything. This is what it looked like when the bronze altar was lit. It would look like this. You would have seen the smoke. You would have seen the fire. And it, it's a big barbecue pit, for a lack of a better term. And again, standing here like this, you would see, we understand the bronze altar. Now you come to the laver. Fancy word for a wash basin again. Some people read this word and like, that's not in my everyday vocabulary. Sink is not a bad word to use if you need to. Wash basin is what I typically refer to it as. Um, and again, this is your little Lego-sized guys. Just give you it, but it's the scale, which is nice. I like this one as well. And again, coming back to this picture, if you're standing there in the tabernacle, you've entered in through the gate, this is exactly what it would look like to scale. 
And you'll see, I mean, something like this, this drawing gets it so detailed. Here you have the poles that went around it. These are called sockets down here, which are where the, the beams would have went. These are made of silver, silver also equally heavy. Um, but God had a plan for every single one of these panels around the outside, uh, each of the, the, the straps that tied everything down to keep it upright. Um, this is pretty awesome. And when you go into now what we call the door, you enter the holy place and you get to the, these three items inside here are going to be one you have to the left is called your golden lampstand. Some of us uh, are going to call that the menorah. You, you'll recognize that term, your menorah. We'll look at that in a little bit. You have your table of showbread. The lampstand, the table of showbread are definitely in this chapter. We'll be, we'll be talking a lot about those and how they point specifically to Christ. Beautiful imagery that God's laid out. And then you have here an altar of incense, altar of incense. And again, once you get into the Holy of Holies, you now have the Ark of the Covenant. And if you've seen uh, the best of the Indiana Jones movies, you know exactly what that looks like. And we'll, we'll look at that in some detail later too. Uh, but if I were to do a cutaway, a side cut of the uh, inside of the holy place, the Holy of Holies, it looks just like this. And so here's my door. I walk in, I get to my menorah, I get to my table of showbread, my altar of incense, I have the veil, and inside the veil, I have the Ark of the Covenant. Making sense so far? Can you see it? Man, when you can picture yourself walking into it, it really does help. And here now, I like this, somebody made this, where you've got standing now, having entered into the door... What am I looking at as I were to go through? This is if the veil was open. So here, this, for this picture's sake, just so you can see that the ark is back there. The veil is opened. You'll have your table of showbread, menorah, altar of incense, inside the holy place. And then you would pass through the veil, again, the veil being colored purple, blue, and red, all great significance. We'll talk about those in a little bit. And behind that, in the holy of holies, or the most holy place, it's got a handful of names, you'll see the ark of the covenant. Here's your table of showbread, what it looks like without bread. Again, rings to carry. Here you have what the poles would look like going through there to carry it again. Here you have what the bread would look like being stacked on there. You switch to your menorah, your golden lampstand. It looks something like this. If you have any Jewish family or friends, you might see those come out in the holidays. The holy days. Another picture over here, digitized. And then lastly, this altar of incense. What it looks like to have the horns. And we'll read about this where the blood was sprinkled on the horns, what the purpose of that is. We will get into these things in great detail. And again, there is beauty in these for us today. And that's what we're going to talk about. So if you were to look at this picture... And we were to talk about these things, and we were to say the high priest went in and put a sacrifice of a cow on the bronze altar, and then he washed himself at the laver before entering into the door to go into the holy place to sprinkle blood at the altar of incense. All of that should make sense. You now have a language and a vocabulary. So as you read through the scriptures, and they read like that, as you read through it, it should hopefully now make some sense for you. Okay, so that's our point, that we're not just going to read things and we're like, I don't get it. When we read now, we'll have some understanding. And so as we go through each of these individual items as well, we'll refer back to some of these pictures and we'll refresh our memory because it's like one of those things, you don't just see it for one time in five minutes and it sticks with you forever. No, but if we look at it maybe every week for four weeks, 
think it might stick for a lifetime. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. So again, last cutaway. Oh, I like this one as, as well here. Oh, I do have one more beautiful picture here. So this is me looking bird's eye view down into the veil. Had the pillars in front of it holding the veil. This veil is the one, by the way, when Jesus was on the cross, after he breathed his last, the veil ripped from top to bottom. Great and beautiful significance. Oh, gosh, that's like the apex of everything for us when we talk about the tabernacle. Uh, but this is what the high priest would look like, the high priest. Uh, we're going to drop two words that are going to be new to you today, the ephod and the breastplate. The ephod is, is the whole garment. Here you have the ephod. It's like an apron. The ephod would be what holds the breastplate, or the breastplate is attached to the ephod. And ephod is spelled E-P-H-O-D. Does that make sense? So here you have the ephod again in red, purple, and blue linens. Again, that, that's significant. You're going to see some uh, requests for that in our, in our passage. And here you have the breastplate. The breastplate had 12 different and unique stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and we will get into that in its time. But these are two terms you should be familiar with, the ephod being this outer garment and then the breastplate on top of that. And if you want to get really just uh, geeked down into it, you'd have behind there the umum and the thumum uh, would be behind there. Uh, those are two words you don't want to say a whole bunch. So I uh, don't have pictures of those, um, but we'll talk about those at some point as well. And again, the Ark of the Covenant would look, if you were to go into the Holy of Holies, here you have our final picture set would be the Ark of the Covenant. You have a lid that would come off. It's an ark, so it's a container that held uh, different items inside. This is where the Ten Commandments were stored. This is where a, a bowl of manna was stored, uh, manna. This is, I'm from Hawaii, so we call it manna, but manna. Um, and this is also where Aaron's rod budded would store. So there's some things inside of there, and this picture will, will, will show you that. Here you have, um, obviously, they're not fitting if they're that big, but it's just a scale to show you that the Ten Commandments were written, in, were written and stored inside of there. And it would look something like this when being carried. And you'll see different, I mean, do, were the wings of the angels that were on the mercy seat or on top of there, were they, were they touching? Were they pointed in? Another artist kind of sees them more like this. We don't have the perfect, exact, and precise details uh, of what the wingspan looked like, but we know very clearly it said, hey, two angels go on top, wings facing inward. Uh, and there's a reason and a purpose for that. And God's Shekinah glory uh, would dwell right on top of there. Again, not to drop terms we're not familiar with, but we'll get there in due time. So one last look on the outside. Now, if you were to see a picture like this, maybe you don't remember every term that we talked about, but it should make some sense. You should now be, okay, the big thing, that's the tabernacle. I've got a gate. I've got an altar, a bronze altar. I've got a laver. I've got a door that takes me into the holy place and a veil which takes me into the holy of holies. And inside here, I've got the menorah, the showbread, the altar of incense. You've got the high priest here. You can barely see him, the high priest. You've got him wearing the ephod, which is the linens there. You've got him wearing the breastplate. You can barely see it here. The veil going into the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah? All right. Now we're all at Exodus. That's plenty of time. If you didn't turn to Exodus 25, I can't give you any more time than that. But Exodus 25, 1 through 9, um, I put the words up here for you. Um, I'm very selective. When picking a 
translation of the Bible to teach from, I, I give it much thought, and I'm going to give you my reasoning for teaching out of the New King James Version today. I haven't taught out of that before uh, for the reason, in fact, that we, we teach simply out of the, the New American Standard Bible, uh, but the only reason I taught out of this version today is because of the word here. Some of you will see in verse 2 uh, the word contribution instead of the word offering, and that's okay. They're the same thing. It's a, it's a donation. It's something that you're giving of yourself. But because we only use the word combina- con- uh, the only use that word um, contribution, typically in terms of like political contributions, like I can't remember the last time I used the word contribution in anything else than I heard on the news saying, oh, so-and-so gave a contribution. Um, I don't give contributions normally. It's not in my vocabulary, but I do give offerings. And when we give, uh, on, and I, and I picked it because when we vocalize up here that, hey, you can give your offerings to the Lord through the box in the back, through the app or online, we use the word offering. And so because we vocalize the word offering, I chose the translation that uses the word offering. Does that make sense? So not to throw you off by any reason. And again, there are the, the ESV and the NASB are going to use contribution, New King James, NIV, uh, 50-50 doesn't matter. Does that make sense? But that's why I chose this one, so we can all be on the same vernacular, calling it an offering. Okay? Let's read through. Exodus 25, 1 through 9. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, scarlet thread. That's the blue, purple, and the red threads that we saw pictured. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat's hair. Ram skins dyed red. Badger skins and acacia wood. Oil for the light. Spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Verse 7. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So that's our passage tonight. And we're going to focus here on verse two. I've explained again why we call it that, but we're going to look at this word offering. Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering. So this is God giving Moses the instructions of what he wants Moses to tell the people. And he says, bring me an offering. But it's not just any type of offering. It is going to be what we call a free will offering, an offering that you give it willingly with your heart. So we know that the people in the Old Testament, God's people, would sometimes give to the Lord. And you might think, well, yeah, we call that a tithe. They gave a tenth of everything. Understand that this offering is not a tithe. A tithe is different than the offering that we're talking about right now. A tithe is our word for a tenth. It literally means one-tenth. We say tenth, they said tithe. It's the same exact word. So when they gave a tithe, they were giving a tenth of something. That is, they picked ten heads of wheat and they wanted to give a tithe, they would give one head to the Lord. Tithe, you can sometimes think, if it helps you mentally because of the culture we live in, you can think of it as a tax. It was literally a 10% tax that they were to give to the Lord. Now, there were three different tithes in the Old Testament. You had your first tithe was to support the Levites. So the Levites didn't have outside jobs. 
They weren't bivocational uh, servants. Their job was to serve the Lord. They were carrying stuff. They were burning things. They were offering things. That was their full-time job. And so that they could go back to their families and have something to eat, something to wear, the people supported them and supported the ministry with their tithes. Then you would give a yearly feastly tithe. Won't get too detailed in that, but again, I put some references here if you wanted to read more about that. And then there was a tithe to be given once every three years to give to the poor. God had a beautiful system in mind, a welfare system, to be quite frank, where he said, look, the poor are my beloved. They're my chosen. I love them. I would like for you who have to give to those who have not. So every three years, we take a tithe as well. Did these tithes add onto each other? They did. You're given like up to 30% in one year. Does that make sense? So you complain about your tax brackets. Every three years, they were under a pretty good tax bracket. But you could get lucky one year where you're like, ah, oh, just 10 to 15, 20%. It'd be nice. But again, this is being a little bit different. There's a parallel passage I want us to look at, and it's going to be Exodus 35. Why we're looking at Exodus 35 would be the equivalent of if we were in the Gospels and we wanted to look at a passage in the Gospels and say, well, Luke chapter 4 says this, but it's also in Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at both passages to see what we can glean from that. They're identical passages. This is what's happening in Exodus. And the breakdown is simply this. Exodus 25 is God telling Moses, this is the message I want you to share. Exodus 35 is Moses actually now giving that message to the people, the exact same message. So these are two absolutely identical passages, but what you get out of Exodus 35 is the understanding of how the message was received. Do you understand that? Exodus 35 takes it one step further, so parallel passage, but now you have, well, what did they do with that message? And so we look at Exodus 35, I'm going to be reading straight through. So if you've got it on your tablet or in your Bible, great. If not, I've got it here. We're going to start in verse 4 and read through 29, again, to expound better on what Exodus 25 is saying. Verse 4, Moses spoke to all the congregation, the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying. So he's just saying, hey, look, as the Lord gave to me, I'm now given to you. Take from you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair. So this is like telephone, but Moses is really good at playing the telephone game. It's an identical message. He heard and he delivered. He's not giving any interpretation. He's not messing it up. He is literally passing it on. He understands the gravity of the message from the Lord. So if you're like, this sounds very familiar, it's identical. Moses does not want to misrepresent the Lord. He doesn't want to screw it up. It's an important message. Verse seven, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood. And in case you're wondering where these skins came in, that was the covering over the holy place. You saw the holy place that was covered and that kind of went down like a tent if you're pitching a Coleman tent. Those are where the skins came to cover the holy place and the, the holy of holies. Uh, verse eight, oil for the light, spice, because there was no electricity back then. So they had the, the menorah. It, it's literally a cave. It's a big, dark cave. And so the only light source in there was the golden lampstand. It's not like they went in and flipped the switch. And the menorah was meant to burn day and night, 24 hours a day. It always burned. And so that's the purpose of the oil as well. Spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. Again, it sounds very familiar. 
Verse 10 now, he's given the message and now here's where he's giving it to the people. It says, all who are gifted. So understand that verse 10 is not something Moses is adding. What we have in Exodus 25 is uh, recorded a snapshot of the message that received from Moses. Now this is Moses giving the full message that he received. Verse 10, all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the table and its poles, its utensils and its showbread. Again, I'm reading rather quick because we went over some of these items. If you're like, oh, I recognize that. I recognize the lampstand, the utensils. We're, we're going to get to the, how it was received in just a moment. Verse 14, also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle, that door we looked at, the altar of the burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, so this is your bronze, um, your bronze altar, its poles, its utensils, and the laver and its base. Utensils, um, if you're barbecuing, you're not reaching in with your hands. If you're wondering, like, what are these utensils are talking about? You just threw a huge animal on its slab into a fire on the grates. Well, well you're going to have things you need to, like, move around and take it off. Like, you're not, okay. Silicone gloves weren't invented yet. They weren't just reaching into the oven, just grabbing things. You had utensils. So don't get tripped up by the word utensils there. Then you have, uh, at the end of verse 16, uh, the poles, its utensils, the laver, the wash basin, and its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets. Again, the socket is a, the, the, the footing for those poles. The poles weren't just uh, dug into sand. They were held in a socket, so a huge weighted base at the bottom. Uh, we would use cement now as a socket, the socket, and you'd put a tube, a four-by-four four in there, and it would be in the cement round circle. Those are the sockets. Um, and the screen for the gate of the court. We talked about that gate. Verse 18, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their cords. These are the things that held up the outside walls. The garments of the ministry for ministering in the holy place. The holy garments for Aaron and the priests and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. So now we get into it. Okay, Moses, you told us what we're doing. You told me to bring an offering. You told me to bring gold and this and that and all these things. You told me the purpose of these things. What are the people going to do with that message? Verse 21. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service and for the holy garments. They came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart and brought earrings and nose rings, gave up the jewelry, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, and every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone, verse 24, who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering. Everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service, brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had, brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate and spices and oil for the light for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, the children of Israel brought a freewill offering of the Lord, 
All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work, which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. Again, the command was, hey, you don't have to, if you want to. I'm telling you what the purpose of it is. The purpose is for this, this, and this. It's for the priests to do their job, to minister and serve as unto me. If you want to bring, feel free. If you don't, you're under no compulsion. It's not an obligation. You didn't have to. I'm not forcing you. I'm not commanding you to. The command is anybody who wants. There's no ramifications, repercussions. If you don't, if you want to, you can. That's exactly how the message is given. If you want to, by all means. If you don't, if it's your stuff, keep it. We look here, it says in verse 21, and I highlighted it in yellow. It says here specifically, the things came from those whose heart was stirred and whose spirit was willing. Verse 22, it came from those who had, as many as had a willing heart. So was this everybody? Nope. Just God's people that had a willing heart. You move on here to verse 26, all the women just whose hearts stirred. I love that picture because I get it. I've had my heart moved for something before. Wasn't on my radar, didn't give any thought, opportunity came available and I'm like, I think I should do that thing. I think, I should, I think that's for me and my heart stirred. And so I love the Bible's using language that makes sense to me. Yeah, their hearts stirred for this. And finally, again, this God just calls it, look, it was a free will offering. Free will. If you want to bring it, great. If you don't, that's okay too, he said. It's fine. If your heart's willing. And so what did they give? They specifically gave of their time. It's one of those triple T's. Their talents. We call that their abilities. And they gave of their treasures. They gave their time, their talents, and their treasures. How did they give their treasures? They brought their earrings, their nose rings, their rings and necklaces, their jewelry of gold. They brought the blue, purple, scarlet threads. They brought the silver or bronze. Uh, they brought, as you go down to verse 27, the rulers brought the stones, and they brought the oil and the spices and the incense. They brought of their treasure. They said, I have, and what I have, Lord, I want to give. Are they giving everything? No, the Lord didn't ask for everything. The Lord said, I want this and I need this and I need this. I need a couple of these things. If you've got them and you want to give them, great. So the rulers are like, look, I got stones. I've got precious stones. The Lord wants an onyx stone. There you go. Those who are wealthy, those who had taken things that weren't even theirs, understand, you, you, if you're like me, the first thought, if you haven't thought this, it's okay too, but these were slaves like a week ago. <laughs> These were slaves not that long ago. I'm sorry, you have gold? You had um, scarlet threads? Remember how they got these things? The Lord had put it on the hearts of the people and said, hey, look, go to the Egyptians and just take it. They're going to give it to you. So this stuff that they have hasn't been theirs for very long. But could you imagine just being dirt poor? Like, not like how you and I, like, like, like in bondage and slavery poor. And then coming into a huge fortune. 
Gold, you've only seen gold from afar. Silver, threads with color, you were shabby rags. This was nice stuff that they had never probably even touched some of these fabrics before. They'd never had earrings on before. And so here you have the poorest of class coming into a wealth that they didn't earn, they didn't work hard for, God had given it to them. You imagine some of them are just like, oh my gosh, they're like doing the Scrooge McDuck. You ever seen where he just starts diving into the gold and backstroking and like that's, that was for some of them like, this, I think of precious, my precious, mine, right? I think it's like that. Like some of them, no doubt, were like that. And yet some of them had the attitude of, I didn't get it. It wasn't mine to begin with. Like, if the Lord wants it and he's calling for it, sure, Lord. And so it stirred on the hearts of some to just say, sure, Lord, if this is, you want this specific thing, go for it. But you could see how hard it would be for some. I have some empathy for some who are like, uh, I haven't eaten in a while. And now I have something to trade with, to barter with, to get food for me and my family. I don't know if I want to. And so the Lord was under not putting any guilt trips on them, not commanding it of them. And those who were just like, you know what, Lord, if, if you want it. And it's interesting because I see that same dichotomy in the church. It's there, right? Is it not? It's, it's just some of us have stuff that's ours and some of us have stuff that's like, well, Lord, if you need it, fine. And so it stirs in the hearts of some and it doesn't stir in the hearts of the others. And I think there's something okay about that because we're all at different points. Would the Lord want it? Would the Lord have wanted for the heart of everybody to stir? Sure. That's why it's called the free will offering. You've got that free will. You've got it. No guilt trips. You've got it. Your stuff. But if you want to give it to the Lord, you absolutely can. And so we look at how they gave up their abilities. We understand they had stuff. I like this, by the way, that they were able to give because not everybody has. Not everybody had stuff. There were some maybe who were widows, maybe who just didn't have. And so they're saying, well, we don't have things to give, Lord. And the Lord said, well, great. You have your abilities. You have your talents. And so here you have the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn. They didn't have yarn. They said, Lord, we don't currently have any, but we have the ability to produce some. And so I'm going to give you my abilities to produce, Lord, what you want. I'm going to give you my talents. My abilities are yours. I have, I'm able-bodied. That guy needs a jump. I have jumper cables. I have a car. I have the ability and I have the free will. Do I want to help him? If it stirs on my heart, yeah. You know what? Here's a jump. I have the ability. I have the talent too. I'm not really giving him my jumper cables, but maybe I'm loaning it to him. Maybe I do give him the jumper cables in case he needs them later. And so you're, we look here, giving, understand this. Giving is not for you. Giving, excuse me, is for you. It's not for the Lord because the Lord doesn't need your money. You, don't forget, God's not like, man, I wish I had 20 bucks. <laughs> really hard up this week. Paychecks are kind of light. Oh, geez, if only you would help me out. Can you help a brother out? God's not like that. Remember, we're talking about the creator of the universe the one who's got the universe in the span of his hands, he already has it all. It's literally in his hand. 
We don't give because he needs. God understand this is actually in the giving business. God understand this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is a giver and not a taker. Bible says in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, that this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He does not have the son of God, does not have life. He has given us and given us and given us. So if giving is for us, not for the Lord, well, why do we give then? What's the purpose in giving? Why are these free will offerings? We can give because his grace abounds greater. I read to you 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. It says, but this I say, and um, Shane gave reference to this verse a moment ago. This I say, he who sows sparingly, sows that means gives out, reaps means brings in. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Simple God saying that's the economy. You want to sow a little, you'll reap a little. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully in God's economy. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You'll have everything you need for the good works to walk in which God's prepared beforehand. Ephesians 2.10. And so we give because God's grace abounds greater. We give not begrudgingly. We're not under a tithe. I do cringe a little bit when someone says, hey, you can bring your tithes and your offerings. I'm always like, I understand the heart though. You're not judging that. I understand. They're saying, hey, if you want to bring an offering to the Lord, and again, we sometimes call that a tithe. And a tithe's not a bad, a bad place to start. If you're like, hey, I'm not currently giving. I don't really know where to start. I would actually tell a lot of people a tithe's not a bad place. Start with 10%. If that's on your heart, and if you just need to, well, I don't know, do I give one or two? I want to give. I don't know how much to give. Do I give? Is it too much? You can start with the tithe. That's where the Israelites started with their giving, and they were able to make it. But understand that compulsion to give, the idea that it's a tax, or it's an obligation, or there's something that's going to happen to you if you don't, God is done with that. That Old Testament part of the law, he is done away with. Jesus Christ has fulfilled that. So please understand that now, the tabernacle giving of the free will offering is the system that God has for us now to be under. Say that again. The free will offering system, that is, that we do not give begrudgingly or of necessity. That is, if you're like, oh Lord, I don't want to do this, but here's your 10 bucks. Now I can't go and get an in and out today. Like God's like, keep it. I don't want it. If that's your attitude in giving me, like God's like, genuinely, I, go get your in and out. I'm happy for you. Like, it's a great place. Turn the cup over. It's awesome. He doesn't want it begrudgingly. I'd say a good place to start, we saw it said, the hearts of the people were stirred. If your heart is stirred tonight, and again, I, I say this, and I'm always, man, I, I should have given like a trigger alert. Like, hey, we're talking about giving tonight because whenever someone talks about giving, there's always something that I, I do put my walls up, and I think we all should. I think whenever someone talks about giving, you should understand, like, well, I'm giving. Am I giving to you? Am I giving for this? What am I giving for? As I'm talking to you about giving, understand this. I have never received a penny from any of you. I'm not on staff. 
I don't get paid. I'm not here getting paid today. I have never received a dime from anything or from this church, this building, this institution, never a penny. So me asking you to give or telling you that, hey, God has, I can tell you I'm free and clear. I'm not, my heart in it, well, is this guy getting paid today to tell us? Nope, I don't get 10% of the things that are put in the back of the box. It doesn't happen. I don't get anything. So I think if you understand the heart of the person sometimes giving the message about giving, it helps. Not a dime. Yeah? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Four weeks, freebies. No, no, but I mean that in a, in a sincere way because I think you, you should know the heart. And my heart is simply this. I, I don't want your money. Don't need it. I'm not here for that. I'm here just to tell you that God's word says we're under a free will offering system today. I'm reading out the New Testament as I'm here. The tithe, you can Google it. You can check it. You can use your things to search it. You're not going to find that word in the New Testament. It doesn't exist. You're not under obligation. You're not taxed anymore. We give because our heart is stirred to do so. The amount, it's honestly between you and the Lord. Everybody's different. But I can tell you this, and not even amounts. You can give time. You can give talents and abilities. And you can give treasures. You can choose how you give. It's between you and the Lord. Does all my giving have to go one place? No. By no means. You give where the Lord calls you to give. Amen? We give, we give to help others. I'll tell you a funny story talking about giving once, and I had a buddy give this little snippet. He said, man, I'll give. He's like, you know what, for my friend, I'll give my life. You know what I won't give? I won't give you a ride to LAX. <laughs> and so it's, it's sometimes funny how, like, I'll give you my life. He's like, I laid down to take a bullet for you, man, but I won't give you a ride to LAX. I'm sorry. And I thought that was funny because it is interesting how we give to help others, but it is, we have thresholds, we have limits. There's certain things we'll do, we won't do. And again, between you and the Lord, how you want to give. But we give to help others. Proverbs 21 says, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. We don't shut out the needs of the poor. Some of the principles of the tithe were great. The principle, again, one of the principles of the tithe every three is that he literally had a welfare system. You're going to give a tenth of all that you have so that we take care of these other people who don't have. And so some of the principles still exist, but the obligation doesn't. And then, this is huge. If I were to say, one of the reasons why I personally give, I give to not let money rule over me. I give so that I'm not like the golem just saying, my precious, it's mine, all mine. I give so that I don't serve mammon, but I serve the Lord. Christian words saying the God of money. I'm not looking to serve that green God. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says this. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out of it. And having food and clothing, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall in temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money has brought down many a great 
men and women of faith. The rich young ruler himself had to make a choice. Teacher, teacher, what must I do to get in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus discerning said, give away everything you have. Come, follow me. Rich young ruler was like, I can't do that. And he went away sorrowful. And Jesus says, yeah, it's, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the king, kingdom of heaven. Like, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's got a stronghold on many, many, many people. I give to not let money rule over me, to show, you know what? I'm not like this. I'm like this. It's yours, Lord. <laughs> I came in, I love verse seven. We brought nothing into this world and it's certain you're gonna carry nothing out. It is not the game of whoever dies with the most toys wins. I grew up hearing that in my own household. That's a crazy thought. I grew up with that idea that, man, I'm going to collect and collect, and it's cars, and it's this, and it's that. And my, my folks, my mom to this day, was just, just kind of a hoarder. It's sad to see some people just say, man, stuff is everything. Stuff is the end-all, be-all of existence. And God's there to tell you it's not. It's just not. Naked you came into the world, naked you're gonna go out. You brought nothing in, you're taking nothing out. It's just the way it is. And so it is the root of all kinds of evil. I give to not let money rule over us. We give, I love this, to trust in the Lord. It says here, Matthew 6, I'm gonna read this very quickly. I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. And these these should be in red. Forgive me, red doesn't show up well. Uh, don't worry what you eat or drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he not much more rather clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? After all these things, the Gentiles seek your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff will be added onto you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's worry about its own things, sufficient for the days, its own trouble. God's saying, I've got you. You need clothes, you need food, you need drink. I've got all your needs met. And so I give to say, Lord, if I give away this money, if I give away my time and my talents, my treasures I depart with and I give them away, my faith is in the word of God that says, you are gonna clothe me, you're gonna take care of me, you're gonna feed me. Does that mean I'm a sloth and I do nothing? No, the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. So I'm still working, I'm still making it, but I'm certainly giving it out because I'm trusting the Lord. I don't need to hold on all this thinking, He's not going to trust me, thinking his word won't, won't, the promises of his word won't be there for me. He says, look, I got you. I got you. 
And so we wrap it up now. Why build a tabernacle? We understand this is the, the building of this erection of this huge thing, this big tent. Why? Verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Please understand this. It's been God's plan from the very beginning to dwell among us. It was that way in the garden. God dwelt. He tabernacled with Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. That was his perfect plan and design for mankind to dwell with them for eternity in that state right then and there. Man, by his sin, by his disobedience, disobeyed God, turned his back on God and said, oh, we broke fellowship. A perfect and holy God cannot tabernacle with a sinful man. And so they parted. Ever since that moment, God has been trying to tabernacle with us again. God has been doing everything, even in that moment. Do you understand this? When that moment happened, they've been to the fruit. Understand this. God has been restoring the relationship. In Genesis 3, this is moments after they bit, he turned to, the, to Adam and Eve and the serpent, and he said, look, he tells the devil, you're going to bruise the heel One day my seed is going to crush your head. He laid out a plan for redemption, a plan of restoration in that moment. The moment didn't catch God by surprise and be like, hey, give me 10 minutes. I'm going to think about how I'm going to fix this. God's like, in the moment, God says, this is what's going to happen. I will tell you my plan to restore. Then we know that God chose Abraham. He said, you know what? I'm going to pick a people. I'm going to take Abram from the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. I'm going to take him. I'm going to bring him out and say, Abraham, to you, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you a people as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. One day from your line will come the blessing to the whole world, he tells Abraham. He gave it to Isaac. He gave it to Jacob. The Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. He picks from Judah. You've got David, who he promises will be a king, who will, from his line will sit on the throne forever. God has been making a plan from the very beginning. Jesus, born of Mary and Joseph, both in the line of David, by the way, Matthew 1, Luke 2 show that. His plan to redeem and restore, to tabernacle with us, ultimately culminates John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word, this is Jesus, then became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God in the Old Testament was setting up the idea of tabernacling, the idea of dwelling right in the midst. You've got people to the north and the south and the east and the west, and he is in the middle of it, right in the heart. And God is pointing us to a picture where he says, in the coming days, I will bring one. I will bring the one who is eternal, the anointed one. I will bring the one who fulfills all the prophecies. The one, my son, the Messiah to come to ultimately be the one that will then tabernacle on the earth in your presence. The idea that God would tabernacle with us 
was his plan for the, from the beginning. I'll say it this way. I want to leave it one thought. I literally went back and God on my heart just said, you need to tell him this. From the beginning of time, God has been pursuing you. You need to know that. His plan for you has been set forth in motion from Genesis chapter 3. The tabernacle is about the midpoint of that pursuit. To paint that picture, I want to be in the middle. I want everybody there. I want to be the center of it all because my ways are higher than your ways. My ways are better than your ways because I work all things together for good to those who love me because my grace abounds more than even you could ever give. God wants him to be the center of your life. The Bible says the spirit of God, after we accept Christ as our savior, actually tabernacles in our heart. The Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever will let me in, I will come in and dine with him and him with me. Like God's like, I want to be in there. And understand lastly this. (laughs) This is pretty cool. The tabernacle points to eternity. The idea that, okay, so I've got Jesus was in my midst. That was 2,000 years ago and the people there. Well, great. By faith, when I put my faith in Jesus alone to be saved, that his death on the cross paid the penalty for my sin, that now his spirit, the promise of his spirit, the tabernacle in my heart is there. Awesome. So what awaits me, awaits you, is tabernacling with God in heaven. Revelation 21.3 says, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the eternal state. That's what the tabernacle is pointing to. Yeah, it points to Christ. Yeah, it points to the spirit in our hearts. But man, it points to the eternity and hope for a future. Amen? Amen. Welcome to the tabernacle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Thank you that where we are now, we can look back by faith and see the beauty of the tabernacle. See, Lord, your desire to dwell amongst your people after taking them out of captivity. Thank you for the picture of Jesus coming 2,000 years ago to dwell on this earth and tabernacle with man. Thank you again, Lord, for the tabernacling in our hearts that you would call us your children that we have the promise and the seal of the Spirit in our hearts, that you dwell with us right there. And now, thank you, Lord, for the hope of tabernacling and dwelling with you in eternity forever. Lord, if there's anybody here that's never put their faith in Jesus to be saved, anybody here who thinks they're getting in on their own ways, Lord, open their eyes. Show them, Lord, your pursuit of them. Show them, Lord, how you gave your son on the cross to pay their penalty. And for those of us who know it, who received it, Lord, I just got to say thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I look forward by faith, Lord, my hope is in you. You, Lord, are good and holy. And you now, Lord, are worthy to be praised for your desire to tabernacle with us. And so we just give you this time of worship. We love you and thank you for loving us first. And we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.